Decepticons, a toast to the imminent destruction of the accursed Autobots. <laughs> Boy, these are good. <laughs> I needed to refuel. Energy! 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 Ah, oh, those were the good old days back on Cybertron. Didn't have to sneak around in these ugly ass disguises. <laughs> Hey everyone ever and welcome to 20th Century Popcast, the show where we try to understand the present while living in the past. My name is Tim Blevins and normally this part is where my good friend and uh, what co-host Bob Canning tells you his name, Bob Canning. But today, uh, today he's not going to do that because, and sad to say to any canning files, um, which I guess would be his wife and kids, uh, Bob's not here today. But before you delete this episode at the prospect of just this one voice, uh, let me say that today, uh, today on this episode, I have another good friend who will be sharing the uh, mic here. In fact, uh, here's, well, here's Mike. You want to introduce yourself, sir? Sure. My name is Mike Rohr, and no one is more disappointed about the lack of Bob than I am. But I'm glad to be here. Oh, that's sweet. It makes me sound like a jerk, but good for you. I'm glad you're a fan of him. Um, but yes, today I'm going to be talking with Mike. And who is Mike, you might be asking. Bob, if you're listening, you might be asking. Well, he's one of my oldest friends. Um, he's my cousin. And today on the show, um, you know, you're here, Mike. I'm having you here because I feel like I've never really gotten a chance to really geek out on this show. We've been doing this podcast for maybe... 23 episodes. I love everything we talk about. I feel like we've never hit that one topic that I feel like I can talk drunk, sober, sick, well, however I'm feeling, regardless for hours. And and, and what what I'm speaking of is are, are those 1984 transformable pieces of amazing shit, the Transformers. And you're a fan, right? You're a huge fan of Generation 1 Transformer toys. Yeah, I've been a fan since I was, uh, well probably six or seven years old when they first came out. So. Which is shocking, right? I mean, they've yeah. been there for most of your life. We don't talk about toys on the show this much. It's normally like movies or books. So this is going to be interesting because this, I think, this is as young as we can probably get talking about something, and it's an item. You know, We're not going to be talking about the movie. Someday we will because that's a big topic. We're not going to be talking about the cartoon, comic book, whatever. But we're actually going to be talking about, yeah, about these toys, which you say – Probably since you were six or seven, so 1984, 1984, Transformers first hit. What do you remember when you first were like aware of them? What it was that first introduced you to even just the concept or the appearance where you said, "Oh, Transformers, that's what they are." Yeah, so they they really hit pretty hard if I'm if I remember correctly. But I remember kids bringing them to school, and in particular, I remember one kid showed up with Megatron, who of course turned into oh. a very realistic pistol and it was one of the first ones to come <laughs> out. And uh, at that time, first I first ones to be confiscated probably. Too. <laughs> Definitely. Um, but it, you know, as far as I knew, it was a real gun as at the age of six. So um, that was probably my first uh, encounter, which actually uh, looking back probably meets the hopes of what a transformer is for <laughs> into thinking that it's uh, not a robot. So, yeah, so what did you think it was? Like, did, were you aware of, you weren't aware of it as a toy line yet. You weren't aware of it as a name yet. Were you like, you, there's a Decepticon, for those who don't know, Transformers, there's Autobots, there's Decepticons, good guys, bad guys, they both have insignias. The Decepticon insignia is a purple insignia, so I'm assuming 
this friend of yours who brought Megatron, a loaded toy gun, into the school <laughs> premises. I mean, it's got a Decepticon insignia on, on, on the, the, the pistol grip, correct? It, yeah, it has. I, I believe it's actually on the side of the gun somewhere. Um, oh, no, it does. You're right. It is on the pistol grip as well. Um, honestly, I don't remember noticing it, and I don't think I was in suspense for that long. I think <laughs> pretty quickly we figured out it was a toy. But, um, but yeah, I mean, it was pretty realistic, at least at first glance. So what did you think it was? Like, you were collecting toys at this point, right? I got to imagine 1984, you and I were both Star Wars fans. We had Star Wars toys. Were there any other toy lines you were collecting, like, prior to 1984? Yeah, Star Wars was still really big. Well, Star Wars, I guess, was technically starting to fizzle out about that time. I know they had another year or two. Um, yeah, it was a year after Return of the Jedi. I just I feel like I was still buying the toys, partly because something I loved to do is when toy lines started to fade, like you're saying, they would go on sale. You know, yeah. KB Toys would have like a bargain bin where you're getting half price. So I think when that hit and it was Star Wars, I started like really grabbing more and more Star Wars stuff. So I feel like Star Wars carried itself probably through 84 and 85 for me. But what else were you collecting so at that point, alongside I- Star Wars? Yeah, probably Hot Wheels cars would have been a hot a hot item for me at the age of six. Um, <laughs> Matchbox cars would have been a good match. <laughs> exactly. Um, but the love of cars actually uh, carried right over into Transformers perfectly. So, you know, as oh, I started to grow up, I mean, I think it was a natural transition to, you know, from a car that would just roll to cars that, you know, did something really cool. So it was sort of a natural uh, natural progression, I think. But the first one you saw was a weapon. <laughs> yes. destructive weapon. Do you remember yeah. him? Tra- like, did you see it actually get transformed? Did you see the robot shape? Because Megatron, the Megatron figure is a weird figure in that I never had one. I didn't know anyone who had him. And while the gun and everything is very believable and realistic looking, the robot is kind of a, it's one of the clunkier early, I remember anyways, early Transformers from the pictures I saw. It didn't look like the cartoon, which I eventually would see, but also I mean, is that a very poseable figure? I've never seen it in person. That's why I'm wondering. Yeah, I actually didn't own a Megatron until I was an adult, but um, yeah, he's kind of a mess. The robot mode is <laughs> definitely doesn't look like the cartoon or the comic. Um, mm-hmm. I don't remember him really successfully transforming it. Again, this is sort of like a fragment of a memory from most of a lifetime ago, but um, I don't think that figure alone would have sold me on the concept of a Transformer. So, yeah, um, what, what prompted you into finding them or wanting one? I think, you know, the, the cartoon came on around that time. And, uh, you know, a lot of things like this, I think, do spread through school. You know, kids bring things in and it sort of becomes a, you know, like a, a, a mini culture of, you know, whatever's a fad at the moment. And um, I ended up getting one either through a gift. I, I My first... My first Transformer was a minibot named Huffer, which I'm sure you're familiar oh. with. Yeah, he's a truck. Yeah, the little orange truck. His uh, robot bits are mostly blue. His arms are sort of the chrome exhaust pipes. Uh, pretty mm-hmm. simple, but um, I was hooked. I mean, he was just he was character that was represented on the show as a full fledged character, but he was a uh, you know a very small sort of affordable toy. It was it was uh, I don't know. It was a good introduction, I think. How did you? get to him and how did he wind up in your hands like how did you know that was a transformer you wanted yeah so it was definitely a gift and and uh, you know i know this because the truck guys as a general rule even including optimus prime weren't the ones i personally went for um but yeah i, I don't know you know as a, as a as a kid it was cars and jets were like you know top priority but um he was a gift I, it might have might have been just a spontaneous gift and again i really wish i had that memory of receiving it but um you know i I remember clipping the file card and the robot points which eventually became 
important. Uh, they were, uh, you know, each figure had a little symbol on the packaging. You're supposed to cut it out and save it, and you can mail away for, you know, items that would that would be like exclusives to, uh, you know, mail order exclusives, basically. Yeah. No, the packaging. Honestly, my earliest memories are probably the packaging for these toys. Like, I think the first time I ever saw Transformers, I was aware of them. There was um. In the early 80s, Marvel Comics would do animated commercials for their comic books. I mean, I think like the ones that were based on toys. So there were animated G.I. Joe commercials selling comic books. There was one for the Transformers comic. And I just remember it's a very intricate piece of animation. It has early character design, so not all of it looks like the show that eventually came out. Mm-hmm. I remember just seeing that commercial. It had the theme song. It had these robots coming in. Some of them were transforming, but I just remember Megatron and Prime very clearly from it. And it fascinated me. It fascinated me because it was big robots fighting, which I think I've always been fascinated by machines, by robots, by this idea of sentient machines. Because, you know, we're growing up, you know, growing up in the 80s, you have a computer or you have a calculator, you have electronic things. And you have science fiction, which is selling you on this idea that artificial intelligence can exist. Machine intelligence can exist. And it's a good way of thinking outside of just organic life, religious life, whatever. So this idea of these giant hulking robots duking it out on screen, it was beautifully animated. I mean, that got my attention. I'm not even sure I was quite aware that they transformed in the commercial. I just liked the idea of these giant hulking robots. Yeah. And that and commercial think, in particular was really beautifully animated. You do remember it then, right? Yeah. It, it, was very, it didn't air for very long. It preceded the cartoon. I just remember Megatron's look was very different from the look of the cartoon. So, it, you know, it was, it was probably based on earlier designs. But it was very hypnotic to me. And it had the theme song. And it had the same music and the same chorus. So something about it got my attention. Because I know I went out and I got the comic book. But, but in terms of the toys themselves, my brother, I have an older brother. I've mentioned him on the show before. Um, he brought a Transformer home. And in my memory, the very first Transformer I ever saw, the first one I encountered or, or, or played with or transformed, was a Decepticon jet named Skywarp. Classic black with purple trim jet. Oh, yeah. And it was his. And, I, and, you know, it's weird because I don't. Shortly after getting Skywarp, I think my brother got out of toys. I was, this is 1984, so if I was eight, he was probably 10 or 11. He got out of toys very quickly. I only recently realized I don't have the money for toys, so I guess now at 41, I'm out of toys. But um, I, just, I remember him getting Skywarp, and he was one of the more complicated Transformers in my mind. Like, I remember watching him, and it seemed so fragile to me. I was nervous because he has, like, gun turrets. You have to take off the wings, and the wings flip back, and you put the, the fists on, whatever. But I do remember him being in the house. But what I really remember from that toy, and I spent hours looking at this, was the box. Oh, yeah box for these toys they always had beautiful paintings of the character on the front that have an action shot on the back and then in the box what i would pull out of the box was this fold out little flyer of all the figures or all the characters that existed and this is this was my introduction to transformers really i didn't play with the skywarp figure because at the time it was one jet i was like what does this play with but i looked at that little flyer of all the characters every day i think the top half was all about the bottom half was decepticons i'm not quite sure but, you know, they had them all in the, you know, the, the different sizes. There were the mini ones, like the Huffer that you had. I think there was yep. maybe six or eight of them. There was the medium size, which was all the Autobot cars. And then there was Optimus Prime. And then for the Decepticons, the mini ones were cassettes. There were three jets. There was a boom box. And there was Megatron. And I just memorized each of their names. I was just fascinated by looking at them because they were all different colors. I guess they were different sizes. It was hard to tell. But it was like an army of each of them, and they were so fascinating because they had names like Megatron, Ravage, 
Prowl. Like they just, these names struck something just to hear them. So I just spent hours looking at that booklet, imagining who are these characters and thinking up little like adventures in my head of them, not really even yet quite grasping the concept that these are toys that transform. It was really the robot characters, like early on, very early on, before I was even collecting them, this, there was always this idea that these are robot characters, individuals. And you had mentioned the cartoon, which I think really drove home the personalities. But even looking at the toys, each toy, even the jets, even though they're just re redecos or repaints of each other, there's three Decepticon jets, the color schemes that they chose just said so much that they all seem like their own individual that eventually the first transformer that I remember getting that was my own, that was for me, was a two pack of cassettes that turned into Rumble and Ravage. One is a red uh, Decepticon robot and one is a black Jaguar or Panther. Yeah. I think those were the first ones that I really played with because I remember getting those. By this point, I think I actually had GoBots. I think, you know, GoBots and Transformers are both, were dueling Transformer toys. GoBots may have come out first. I don't know if you know or I not. I think you're right about that. And that, that's always been, you know, like the GoBots were the first to market. But, you know, they were their cartoon was goofy and the Transformers had this sort of implied depth to it. And it just won out. Um do you think it was the cartoon that did it then? Is that what gave these toys their characters? So, yeah, I think as far well, there's a couple of things. You mentioned the packaging, and in addition to having beautiful artwork and, like, these really appealing catalogs, they had a bio card on the back that had um, a, a nicely written little piece of background, and it gave you just an idea who the character was, and it gave it this, this depth, to, you know, that, that sort of fleshed out the character. And then there was a section of the card that had... Um, a hidden, uh, basically like a stat bar that told you how strong they were, how fast they were, and you had to use the the decoder. Uh, oh, the tech spec viewfinder or something. I think it was called like a red cellophane strip. Exactly, um, and it just it just gave it this le this like little like level of mystique. I think for kids, you know that just it just made them instantly fascinating. Um, and I don't recall GoBots having that level of attention paid to their marketing. So no, I feel like a lot of GoBots, they had a name that also told you what they were like copter or trucks, but you're right. And, and maybe that was again, like I just, my memory is so much of, and this sounds so awful because it's consumerism, capitalism, but it's also creative. Like my earliest memories of transformers. Yeah. Is more that fucking box because you're right. Those file cards, they were well written. They did this Hasbro, which put out, you know, which brought the Transformers from Japan and, and put them out. Did the same thing with GI Joe, where they give you a little file card, and really, when you look at it, it's what three sentences, plus everyone had a little quote, something that they would say, and then they had like, "Oh, he's really fast, or he's really strong." But that, that was such a, I don't know, there's something about that was so just just drove this mystique of these characters because they had these personalities because this. This was before I saw the cartoon, because by the time I saw the cartoon, I knew who all these characters were. The cartoon, I think, premiered in the fall, and this is the summer, I'm thinking. Spring or summer, when the toys were kind of first hitting. And yeah, they, I mean, they were colorful. The look of them was fascinating. But yeah, they had these personalities. And they each had, like, they all had their little, like, mental weaknesses or their, per, you know, personality quirks. It, it, was, it was quite complex, really. And that's, like probably what drove me into that because like coming off of star wars you knew these characters you knew the main characters and then anyone who's in the background is part of this bigger story but transformers it's one of the few toy lines i feel like i got into the toys before there was a cartoon yeah i think there was a comic book i think that might have already been out that i don't quite remember but this this predates car the cartoon so when the cartoon aired i was a huge fan 
but yeah, no, the the that first pack of Rumble and Ravage and just running around the house with them, just being fascinated by the look and how they moved and the fact that no other toy looked like that and the fact that the other Transformer we had, Skywarp, also didn't look like that. There was just variety in the body types. Absolutely. And they all had a certain feel to them that I think a lot of other toys didn't. They were, they were Usually they had die-cast metal and they were heavy. They had ratcheting joints, although I don't know if any of the ones that you started with had those, but... Um, they were just they were just really appealing. They're beautiful looking, beautifully decorated. Um, I don't know. They they were just as a toy, they were really appealing. So were and none of them they weren't to scale, which never bothered me. But when you look at them, it's like you know Star Wars. All the figures are to scale. They all fit the same vehicles. Transformers. There's a variety of sizes. Like even just with the cars. You know, I'm looking at yeah. like the Huffer that you had is a truck, but he's smaller than a, than than, uh, than say like Blue Streak, who's a gray Camaro. What kind of car is Blue Streak? He is a uh, Datsun 280ZX Turbo. So there's the love of cars. Did you have yeah. this love of cars when you first were getting into the toys? You said yes, right? Absolutely. Yeah, I really did. Did that inform which figures you wanted on the basis of the car, or which figures you sought out? I think yeah, it really did. Um, and like the first one, I was really like. I lusted after, and I never, I never got until again until I was an adult. Was <laughs> was a sideswipe, and kids at school had him, and I, you know, I got to play with him. But um, he turns into a red Lamborghini Countach, which for most '80s kids is like the iconic car. Um, you know, it's just a beautiful, <laughs> like futuristic-looking sports car, and you know, and sideswipe of course was red, which is the iconic color for that car. So. Um, yeah, I played a big part in, in which Transformers appealed to me personally. That's so strange because, again, I and I think I was always more of a fan of Decepticons than Autobots, at least in that first series. I liked that they transformed. I thought it was fun. But I was, again, more interested in the robots, the look of the robots. Because, again, what, you know, like Rumble and Ravage, the first ones they got, they turned into cassettes. That was kind of creepy to me because we had cassettes around the house, but it was more the robot form. So you were really driven to a love of cars, and that did inform who your favorite characters was. And yet, you didn't have Sideswipe growing up. Yeah, I never. I did. I did get Red Alert, who um, was a, a recolor of that toy, which is something I don't know if, if you want to talk about here. But they, um, you know, so I did eventually get basically that toy. But yeah, that was one I, I never got. Would you say that's probably the one that you always wanted that you didn't get as a kid? Or was like, was there a Transformer that you always just wanted but never got that would... I mean, it sounds like he's one of them. Yeah, he's definitely one of them. Uh, the other one was Trax, which is a, uh, a blue Corvette. Yeah, um, you didn't have... I remember this character well. You didn't have Trax? I did not have Trax. I mean, I, I just... I always wanted him, and I remember loving the box art, and the character on the show was, was interesting, um, and yeah, I, I never got him. Yeah, so tra- so Transformers they you know they came out every year from '84 to probably '90. I think we we're getting toys. Yeah, this first and it, I, not to just focus on the first round because I feel like after the first round there was a cartoon informing me a little bit of who these characters were. The world was being built a little more, but the look of them, like that first series of which there were probably 28, maybe I'm trying to think how many that toys. That sounds right. Yeah, they all looked great. You know, they were just like. When I think about the iconic look of Sideswipe, the, the, the red, uh, you said Lamborghini, is that right? Lamborghini? Yeah, Lamborghini Kutash, yeah. The look of him, the look of Sunstreaker, who you were telling me before the show, is the same car, just he's yellow. The look of the, um, the char- one of the characters, there were two characters that I never got that I always wanted. Like, I just, they just fascinated me. And the first one was from this series. We didn't have a lot of, of the first run Autobot cars growing up. I think we had Prowl, who was a police car. Yep. 
and Ratchet, who was an ambulance, but the one that I always wanted. And again, I think it was his color scheme because he looked very similar to Prowl and Jazz. There's a character named Blue Streak, who's this gray. What kind of car would he be? Yeah, he's, be? he's the one of the Dotsons, like Prowl okay. and um, later Smokescreen. But yeah. Yeah, so his color scheme, I think, is what I like. But like in his head, I like the head, the head design. Like he was the Autobot I probably wanted and just never got um, early on. Because again, we didn't have the cars didn't fascinate me as much. The Decepticons did, the Jets did, the animals did. Ravage this Jaguar fascinated me to know, and he was one of my favorites. But I don't know. And you know, as the series went on, I got more and more of the cars. But that first series, Generation One cars, I didn't have a lot of them. And I wonder, is that because I just wasn't into cars? Like I enjoyed the transformation process. Of course, I had Optimus Prime. He was pretty quick to transform. If I'm remembering right, Sideswipe, Sunstreaker, Trailbreaker, they were more complicated transformations, possibly some of the harder ones. Am I right on that? Yeah, for the first run, I mean, Megatron is almost definitely the most complex, but the a lot of the Autobot cars had quite a few steps, and they were also um, pretty fragile. Like, several of them have a, a point that breaks on almost, if you find any, you know, well-loved copy of that toy, it's going to be broken in a particular spot. And... Um, but yeah, they, they were they were relatively complex. Um, so uh, they're also, and, and this is one of the, I, I'm with you that I'm not having a lot of the guys from the first run um, because mostly because they're fairly expensive. And I think at the time they retailed around ten dollars. Uh, you know, at least at least around here they did. And for the for the cars, I thought about for an Autobot car, yeah, and the jets, I think, were a couple bucks more, maybe. Um, yeah, but... I seem to think they were in the teens because for some reason it was a big deal when my brother brought one home. It's like that's a thirteen dollar toy, which for some reason seemed weird. It seemed like a lot of money back then. Did a lot of yours break? You're talking about the fragile nature of a lot of the cars. Did did you have a lot that broke? Yeah, my, one of my favorite ones was, uh, as I mentioned a, a moment ago, Smokescreen, who was the other. Uh, repaint of the Datsun mold, um, and dot, uh, all, all three of the Datsuns broke typically on the roof. The uh, they would break right at the hinge where the the um, the head would flip out, and it would also break in the rear windows. And I played with that toy heavily. I adored it, and of course it, <laughs> it broke eventually. Um, and I you know I still have it. Uh, I still love it, even though it's in three pieces. But um, you playing with it after it broke, or was that kind of like I'm going to discard this and move on to something new? Because if there's there was no shortage of new Transformers. Yeah, I know there really wasn't. I yeah, I think I, I think I pretty much put it down. Uh, unfortunately, it lost some of its luster, but uh, no longer looked like a car. So you know that was a big part of it. Which is interesting to me because I had you're you're mentioning the cars like we had Prowl, who was a police car, who had the same fragile kind of like you said, where the head flips up the the. the part that would be the top of the cop car where the sirens are kind of hangs off his back and i think that snapped off yep but i still played with him because as long as the robot to me looked good i was fine with it and he's a fun one to transform because you're spinning him around you're flipping parts up but after he broke i still played with him constantly there was no issue with that because he looked like a solid robot the one that yep. didn't look like a robot and i was going to ask you what was your least favorite transformer that you actually owned for me my least favorite transformer was ratchet who is an ambulance? Ah, yes. And the way that, it, and on the cartoon, he's a great character. But like, part of it was, I think, Ratchet was a gift. It was the first Christmas Transformers around, and I got Optimus Prime. That was one of the biggest gifts I could have gotten. I also got a couple more. One of which was Ratchet, and I think it was this idea. I think my parents picked it up because it's like, it's an ambulance. It's a good car. It's a helpful car. <laughs> Here's something that you know it's good to play with. And I get that mindset because I bought my nephew some Transformers, and one of the ones I bought him was a newer version of Ratchet that looked great because I'm like, oh, he's an ambulance. But that toy, 
because by that point the cartoon was on it didn't look like the cartoon character and because it just it didn't have a head it was this squat little robot on the base like now i'm like that should be cool right that should have been exciting to me but i just that was my least favorite one i hated playing with it and it's probably the one that i left in car mode the most because i'm just like well it looks good as an ambulance but who was your least favorite character that you had like your least favorite transformer that you got yeah mine actually has a very similar origin to yours um mine was actually hoist who was a second year autobot car he was actually a a tow truck Mm -hmm. and i got him as a christmas gift uh, along with several other transformers that i liked a lot better but you know (laughs) it's like a, a really nice gift but there's something about the look of that toy, the, the color scheme didn't appeal to me, and he was just, you know, now I look at the toy and I think it's, you know, it's a nice design and it's actually a fairly cohesive robot, but... Is he green toy, and black? Are those the colors that he would have had? He's mostly green and orange. Okay. Um, and he had a little platform where you, you could tow other Autobot cars with it, although I never used that feature as a but kid. It's useful. That's a useful task for your toy <laughs> it car. Is, it is useful. Did not appeal to me. Um, although I will say that your your experience with Ratchet and uh, Ironhide, who is the one who shared a mold, um, they I think that was universally the experience with those. I never had those as a kid, but they were unbelievably disappointing, especially compared to their amazing characters on the show. And that's what I wonder: is that did that show overtake the toys quickly? Because again, getting into these toys as a something to play with, but also something to be in awe of. That summer before the cartoon premiered. You know, I'm talking about going through that booklet of toys. I was just in awe of this idea and the look. And I don't think in looking at that booklet, it would have been like, Ratchet, that's a dumb toy, whatever. I was just, they were all grabbing me and taking me in. I wonder, did how Ratchet appear on the cartoon with an actual head and with a voice and a personality? And then in the comic book where he was one of the main characters, although maybe not at that point when I got the toy. Yeah. Did that, you know, was I becoming, was I susceptible to what a lot of people would say? is the commercialization of a TV show. Like I love, I, I, I didn't think we were going to talk about the cartoon, but I don't know how to talk about these toys without that Transformers cartoon was, it was a, was a mind blow to me. I was my favorite fucking show on television. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and I watched it. I think first it was on just one day a week. It was on weekends maybe. And then it became weekly in 85. And so it definitely informed my impression of these characters because that's one of those cartoons. And there were other cartoons of the era, G.I. Joe and Humanoids, Gem and Holograms, that just they were working under the great voice director Wally Burr and the great uh, vocal co- coach Susan Blue. It just these shows worked so well because every character had such distinct voice. And oftentimes the character, when you watch it now, you're like, oh, that's just showing up to remind kids to get the toy. They're going to say one line and they're gone. But the voice was so impactive. So did you find yourself wanting toys based on who was on the cartoon or were you still drawn to kind of why well, I like this kind of car, I like this kind of character? Yeah, well, I think you really nailed it with with the you know sort of the qualities of the cartoon that were definitely I think could sway a, a kid into wanting a particular character. Personally, I loved seeing the toys I already had on the show. Mm-hmm. Um, I, that's the experience that I remember distinctly. But um, you know, it's even you know looking at a lot of the, the stories that have come out about that cartoon in the years since. It's actually amazing how sort of non-cynical it was they the, the <laughs> voice actors really loved doing it and they took it seriously and they they made a point of not dumbing down the, the dialogue and i mean you know certainly it is a kid's cartoon and the plots are very simple but um they they went to pretty great lengths to make it a cartoon worth watching on its own merits not just being a toy commercial and i, I think mm-hmm. it i think it holds up that way 
I do too. And I mean, I think all those cartoons, I, I'm a huge fan of that era of toy cartoons. And it's one of those things like as an adult, I get what they're saying. Commercials on TV, blah, blah, blah. But, it's, but like you're saying, like I wasn't tuning in to figure out who I wanted personalities, but this is the same with Star Wars. It's like, oh, I like the character of Han Solo. So of course I want this Han Solo toy. I like the look of Bib Fortuna. So I want this Bib Fortuna toy. Like the cartoon did the same thing, but you're right. There was the sense of character behind it. And it was exciting to see the ones that we liked on the show. Like, do you remember, like, who the first specific... Because, yeah, the designs would be similar. Like, who was the first specific Transformer toy that you wanted, that you specifically and eventually got? Like, you're like, that's the one I want. Was it Huffer? Was Huffer the one you saw? And you're like, I've got to have him. Or was there someone you are like, this is the one I want to get? And when you got it, it was like, finally, here he is. Or yeah, so... <laughs> Early on in the run of the show, there was an episode where they uncover an Autobot trapped in the ice known as Skyfire. And of course, kids were quickly able to piece together that the toy representation of that was named Jetfire. And, um, you know, there's a long backstory to that, which might be a little dull. But seeing that episode, <laughs> I mean, I was instantly fascinated with Jetfire. He, you know, they played him up as being, you know, he had, he had a, a pretty interesting backstory where he worked with the Decepticons or, you know, it, again, I don't know how much detail you want to go into here, but... It was, a, it was a large. For minutes, so yes. <laughs> for, well, I think we're about there. But um, you know, he was he was a big. Uh, he was an Autobot jet, which was cool right away. But um, you know, he, he was just a the, the toy itself turned out to be really sophisticated, really beautiful, complicated transformer. And you know, that seeing him on the cartoon is what kicked that off. I was I was really excited about that toy. And you had him, right? I think I remember you had him. You had all his pieces. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I I, I got him. Um, for as a Christmas gift, uh, as a kid mm-hmm. without without a job, uh, fortunately, child labor laws I think prevented me. From, <laughs> but yeah, I got him as a Christmas gift, and it was it was, it was like you know, it was one of the fondest memories I have of being you know a kid collecting Transformers. That it just it lived up to my expectations. Really cool toy. I still have him today. He's very yellow and very well played <laughs> with. Um, but yeah, we were spoiled. Huh. A when little bit, about, yeah. Think about like the, which is weird. It goes both ways because when I think about the bin of Transformers that I had, I'm like, wow, I had so many. But then to actually go through that bin, I'm like, well, that's it. Like there's a weird selfishness of like I thought there'd be hundreds of more. But yeah, we had a lot. <laughs> um, but it's nice to have that appreciation for them. I think the first one that I specifically wanted, and again, I think this was before the cartoon. I think it was based on his color design and the fact that I already had Rumble and Ravage, the cassettes. There's a cassette recorder who turned into um, a Decepticon named Soundwave, like a blue, uh, blue, just something menacing, this blue-looking Decepticon on the voice. He had a monotone voice that had this weird feedback thing. You could put the cassettes in him and you could eject them. And that was the first one I remember looking in the booklet saying, like, that's, I think because he was blue, I think because he came with a little friend named Buzzsaw, which was another transforming bird, so he had that. He liked animals. That was the first one I really wanted, and I remember... Because it's odd, because that's a toy where it's like, they turn into jets, I get it. They turn into cars, I get it. You, you know, you're saying you like playing with Hot Wheels. This one turned into an impractical, practical device. Like, a, a tape recorder is a great thing to have. I've had them. I like them. I like recording things. He turned into a toy tape recorder that could only eject tapes. He had fake batteries that you could put in them. Like, it wasn't like it was a practical device, and yet I loved it. He was easy to transform. He was compact. It looked like he got smaller. He's the first one that I really loved transforming. Like, to this day, there are motions I'll do with my hands that mimic his transformation that I'll do. 
and I just feel like, oh, that's how his hands would go, and that's how his arms would go back. That's how I spin my head around. No, but you know, there are just positions of 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 how these toys, like every little piece of how he transformed Optimus Prime, is the same way with how his arms fold out. There's something ingrained and magical about that, where it's not so much about the thing he's turning into. Because again, I was never that into like what they look like as a car, what they look like as a jet. I am now, but back then it was just like the process of turning every little piece. You know, that I can fold this guy up into a tape deck. Like, and that process of it was so ingrained to be able to do that mechanically with my eyes shut. And it works. And quickly. And it works. Like, there was something to that that had a weird ownership over it. It was like a puzzle, maybe. Yeah. Or something. And I just loved it. And it was because, you know, it was always like I would just sit there watching TV with Soundwave transforming him back and forth, back and forth, flipping out the feet, flipping out the hands. And to this day, every little step of that is ingrained. I mean, what, I have hundreds of toy memories, and I'm sure I have close memories of this, but why is it, why is it, it was almost secondary to me that they turned into something. But there's some of the quicker transformations are also some of the most calming. You know, it's like you flip this around, there's this head, fold up the wings, the arms pop out, there's power glide. You know, yeah. or just, you know, you flip this one piece back, you, I, I don't know, like, there's there's something still soothing about these toys. I don't know if it's the transformation. I don't know if it's the nostalgia. Like, are there transformers from your original collection when you were a kid that you still have that are that you have out somewhere that you can grab and, and tr- transform if you want to? Like, is there one that is just still around? Uh, yeah. So I, I kept pretty much my entire collection from when I was a kid, and not all of them are are worn down to uh, the point of embarrassment. And I have a small uh, display case that I have hanging on the wall in like in the den where they're not immediately visible to guests. Uh, I do have some dignity, um, but, but yeah, they're, they're accessible on the air, by the way. So, <laughs> so yeah, they're, they're accessible and, and I do reach for them uh, occasionally. And, and they're still, I think you've really described it well, but there's like some kind of ownership over that experience of, you know, you've got this toy that represents, you know, all these, all this imagination, all this character, but you know, you're involved in changing it. And I, I hadn't really thought about it that way before, but I, I do think that's an important component as to, you know, really why these things resonated. And, and, you know, you talk about transforming sound wave back and forth. I, I remember having a distinct memory of one of the later guys who's not actually that great of a toy in retrospect, but <laughs> Rodimus prime who I love Rodimus prime. Cause he's from yeah, the movie. I love anything from the movie. I totally agree. And I think that's why as a kid, I love that that toy but looking at him now he's he's a bit of a stick figure with you know the bulk <laughs> of him separates off but just his transformation was very straightforward and very simple and you know like you said with, with your sound wave i could i could do it with my eyes closed and which isn't much of a feat <laughs> again because it's pretty simple <laughs> but um but yeah i mean that's one that you know i'll have a movie on or, or whatever and, and I'll, I'll transform them back and forth and uh, to this day it's it's satisfying and, and it's because it's I mean again hundreds of toys like I don't have this feeling about a Rubik's Cube sometimes I'll have it like you know looking at like I, I get little jilt of nostalgia looking at like old He-Man toys looking at old G.I. Joe's whatever but the physical maybe again because we're changing them but the physical process of holding a transformer this probably sounds so stupid saying <laughs> out, loud, out loud but the aspect of holding one from this, again, from this toy line. I mean, there are beautiful Transformers that still come out that I like because they look like the characters look. I don't buy the newer ones. I don't buy the Masterpiece ones. I have some, and they're awesome. But there's something about the bulkiness and whatever of these original, because I you know lived through them, but there's something about just the texture of holding them, especially the first wave where there's metal parts or die-cast parts, like holding them and twisting them and just... 
as they get loose. Like, what is the comfort in that that wasn't there for, say, my Spider-Man action figure or, or you know, the, the, the Millennium Falcon my brother had? Like, these things, this is what's weird to me. Transformers outweighed Star Wars almost immediately to me. They were my favorite toy line and my favorite thing. My favorite cartoon, my favorite comic, my favorite movie, my favorite... I, and just out of nowhere... And the movies and and the cartoon are based more on them as characters. They do transform and they get around, but like the idea of them being in the skies kind of dies down after the first season. Like it's not so much yeah. that they're in the sky. So there's something yeah, different. They kind of drop that actually. Sort of right. Like they still do. They get around, but it's like people know because they got the insignia on them. Because there is something creepy to that idea. A bunch of and I remember the comic book did this. The first four issues of the Marvel comic book did this very well. Just this idea of something that's like, wait, nothing's driving that car. Wait, that car is driving itself. Like, you know, this idea that, oh, they're ro- like they're robots. You know, the, the reveal of that is creepy because they're working in secrecy, which is something that scared me. The idea of, you know, this is why I was into alien abduction stories and ghosts. Like something, you know, working covertly. And that is a scary angle. But these toys, holding these fucking toys, like I just, there's a solace to that and a comfort to that that I don't get. I don't fully get like I understand how nostalgia works so I get why like you know I was wondering like what was your favorite transformer I guess the favorite one I ever had was that there's a Sharktacon named Gnaw which is from the movie of course you know him I'm saying this for the one other person listening who doesn't he's this weird Cybertronian creature he's purple he's got these fins on his back he's got big teeth like a spiked tail Little tiny little blue hands, one of which sadly broke off. But like he's from the movie, he's a cool looking character. He's, he's shiny, he's bright, he's got these stickers. I would never transform him. I keep him in the shark pose. But he's been on my desk wherever I live since 1993, which is probably seven years after he came out. I just he's the one I chose to bring with me, and I need him there. And he's comforting to look at him, to pick him up, to feel him, to, to transform him when I do. And it's like, I don't have other toys that have followed me. Like, you know, I brought all my Transformers with me in a box. And last year I sold most of them on eBay, which was a weird and painful thing to do. Unlike the other toys I sold, which I miss with a little nostalgia, it was painful to let them go. But this this particular one, with a few others around the house, this Sharktacon, like, I just, I don't get why, why there's a psychological aspect to that. Yeah, there's a so, lot bundled up in that as a totem sitting on my desk. Like, do you have one that sits on your desk? Well, I, just to speak to that phenomenon, uh, something that I'm not alone in, in recognizing with Transformers in particular is that because they have this puzzle component and this involvement of, you know, and like you said, like memorizing a transformation, they do kind of get mixed up with other associations and other memories. And to this day, you know, I'll pick up a transformer and I'll remember whatever I was doing the last time I held it. And I think that on a really? bigger scale, yeah. And, and again, I'm, I'm not crazy. I'm not the only one who experiences this, but I feel like <laughs> on a bigger scale, I mean, so that, that shark Decon came out in 1986, probably a great year for you as a kid. And it becomes kind of a touchstone. I feel like those memories kind of, you know, whether or not it's, it's conscious, I think they, they probably, you know, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems like that for me, at least, you know, I, I keep around these figures that do represent like much simpler, happy times as as a kid, and uh, it's it's nice to have that touchstone. They do. I mean, it's weird that the sh- and this is, I think, maybe where it's different. Like they definitely, they definitely. I don't know what accent that was. They definitely <laughs> do. Like I still have my beat up, broken Optimus Prime. 
and I always will because that's there's a warmth to that. Like he doesn't fully transform because his arms busted, but I'll never get rid of that. This Sharkticon, I do have the good memories of it. What's weird is I have good memories of it. I have one awful memory also tied to it of, of, of an argument that was happening while I was trying to play with it as a child that has always washed over me. And then having brought it to college in 93 and everywhere since, I have other memories that are actually tied to looking at it. You know, it's like that dumb scene in Attack of the Clones after Anakin slaughters all the, the sand people and, and like animals, as he tells us. Um, he's there, and, and it's a very... I think this is why this scene works for me in that shit show of a film. He goes back to the Tatooine house, and he's kind of like working on something. Like he's fixing a little doohickey, like a, a little square box with this space screw, screwdriver or whatever. But he's just kind of fiddling with it. And he's saying, you know, I'm good at fixing things. It makes you think, oh, that's what he did as a kid. So there is this weird calming aspect. Like, I have awful memories that come from being 41 years old throughout life of things happening. And this fucking shark to that I'm even looking at right now, by the way, as I talk to you, because it's right here by the microphone, <laughs> has sat there for a lot of it. So, like, when I pick him up, I do feel the weight of the toy. But I also, I think back to, like, different moods. Like, I've been a wreck and picked him up and just kind of fiddle. I'm fiddling with him now, if you hear it. But just fiddled around with him, you know, just having him there, always putting him in the right spot. And there's so much to it. Like, there's the color scheme. Like, he's got... I always like the ones that were purple. I think that's why I like Skywarp and Decepticons in general. The purple is always kind of an interesting choice. And this one's got purple trim. He's got the big green gumball beady eyes. He's got the frail little blue arms, of which I actually cried when one broke. <laughs> So do you find that, so you mentioned that you pick it up during hard times. Do, do you find that it helps to change your emotional state? Or does it does I, it bring back positive feelings? I don't think so. I think, well, maybe. I, it probably has a lot of, you know, I think it's, you know, it's like when you suddenly, or you're, you know, when someone says, like, breathe easy, and you take a deep breath or something. It's it's a practice. practice. It's an affliction. It's um, affectation maybe is the word. I'm not sure. It's, I don't, I don't know. Like it's almost mechanical. Like right now, as you're asking that, I'm, I'm. It's almost like I'm looking at him in the eyes, staring <laughs> at him. Hard not to. And he doesn't look old to me. He doesn't look like. I'm not thinking of childhood. I'm just. This thing has been here, like a spirit guide. Yeah. And it has so much attachment. And it's like I have older toys in the house. I have toys that I probably like more in the house right now. And they stoke feelings, but I don't know. I I don't. I don't necessarily, unless I allow my mind to start working at it, I'm not looking at him saying, I wish I was 11 again. But I am looking at him, and I'm thinking of a very particular moment when I was 11 with him, and I was very scared. So that's there, and that's attached to him, because maybe that's how I cope yeah. with it. And just even now, like I know the things that I do, the motions I do with him when I'm stressed, when I'm sad, when I'm overwhelmed when I'm bored, when I'm frustrated, like this is my go-to thing. And he also represents something bigger, like fucking Transformers mean a lot to me. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, this is where I'd like to geek out, but now I'm all sullen because I'm thinking about this toy in my hand. I mean, has anything else held the, the weight that like Transformers, and again, I'm, maybe it's hard to dissect it from toys and cartoons, but if we can, just thinking of the toys, the physical toys, why do you still have all of yours? And why do you still collect them? Yeah, so they, they, that's a really good question. I think you've touched on a lot of the reasons that I would give if I had to list them. But they've just, they've just, you know, some part of me as a kid, you know, like whatever that 
appeal was, it's still there. And I don't obviously have the the pleasure of zooming them around the house and you know and having them fight each other. You know that piece unfortunately goes away as you become an adult for most people. And if it doesn't, I mean you're, you're lucky, <laughs> I guess. Um, but they 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 just they still hold a special place and uh, you know a sort of I don't know. There's just triggers deep within within my brain. And I know there's a lot of people sort of in our age group that still do have their originals and they may buy the new ones. And I don't know, it's just, it's just there's something there that's still appealing about them. Um, now, as far as like, you know, you mentioned your, your shark decon. Nah, I mean, I, you know, I've had this jet fire that I mentioned who's yellowed and, and missing a lot of parts. I mean, that, that thing has been with me everywhere I've lived and it's sort of the same kind of thing. And, and as to the question as to why they they persist and why they're still on display in your, in your home or whatever. I mean, things that people have on display in their home are usually because they're visually appealing or they have meaning. And, you know, like a lot of these things you put up because you want to impress people or what, you know, I don't mean you personally, but you know, you think about why things are on <laughs> no, display. Sure that's my and, music collection is there to impress. Yeah. And that's why my, you know, my complete works of Hegel and Kant and all these other books that I haven't <laughs> touched since college. Except Kant. Exactly. I'd much rather read that. Uh, but I mean, so these things have meaning to me and, you know, I do, I don't keep a a large number of them out, but I do like having them just sort of in my peripheral vision. And, you know, and again, I do grab them once in a while, but they have meaning and they have, you know, they have, uh, they're certainly aesthetically appealing, um, at least to me, you know, and I certainly don't put them out where the general guests would likely see them and have a lot of questions. But, um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I don't, as far as, you know, like what's the merit of having a, a painting on the wall versus having you know a, um, a transforming jet i mean it's 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 all very subjective i think it works like music in a sense maybe where it's music with headphones where it's like you could have the one-time experience of playing with the toy but yeah because i've brought it places i mean why this sharktacon means more to me i guess is because i'm repeating the process which is interacting with this physical toy in multiple locations and it doesn't get older. I mean, you know, it gets older in, the, in how time works, but it's always the same toy. I change around it. I don't know. I mean, I think with this particular toy also, I didn't know anyone else who had the Sharktacon. That's not why it's one of my favorites, but it's very personal to me. But by the same token, everyone had Optimus Prime, yet that Optimus Prime toy means the world to me. I get, I mean, it's in a box. I don't have it out because I get too choked up when I see it because there's too many memories tied into that character and toy. But I think, and I think you said this, so maybe I'm repeating. I, I I think because it's a physical thing that I've gotten, that my hands have gotten bigger and older doing the same practice with and having the same interaction with, there's something I think just about, you know, I'm looking at it right now and I'm like, I've looked at this thing in so many situations. I've looked at this piece of plastic and moved it around with its parts that are getting looser. That's how it's changing. It's getting looser and someday it'll break. But I've always made sure it was in my sight, you know, in times where I was broke, in times where I had a new job, in times when I was ecstatic because of a project I was working on, in times when there's been family troubles, in times where there's been like changes in just a world situation. Like this thing has always been there. And so I've imbued it with something because yeah. it's physical. And I, yeah, I guess you can feel it in your fingertips. It's got a weight to it. Well, I, I think earlier you, you used the term as a totem, and I think that really yeah. does does apply. Um, so you had mentioned that 
Optimus Prime is put away in a box because when you look at it, you get choked up. Like, what are you, what are you feeling when you're getting choked up? I'm feeling old, I think. And then I'm, and this happens whenever, this also ties into the cartoon when I hear that voice, when I hear Peter Cullen who does the voice. Optimus Prime was my first hero. <laughs> and that toy, which is simplistic, and this is the weird disconnect. Like the Optimus Prime toy is a pretty simple toy. It's actually one, it's not even that big. It's smaller. It's mm-hmm. one of the smaller Transformers. But I vividly remember opening up at Christmas. I remember, you know, because again, everyone had Optimus Prime, but nobody had my Optimus Prime. And so I imbued it with who that character was and what that character means. Like he's always been the representation of, and this is dumb. This is so dumb. I'm 41 years old, but in, in, in fourth grade, so this is early on the end of fourth grade, which transformers were maybe a year old. We had to write a paper on our hero three or, you know, I say a paper, whatever it is you're writing in fourth grade. I wrote about Optimus Prime. It was for Martin Luther King day. We were writing it. And I wrote about a fictional robot that turns into a red noxious fume emitting truck. I remember somewhere in my mind, I had grasped this idea that Optimus Prime is a hero because he brought this war to earth, but he stays to fight earth because he feels like he shouldn't have brought the war to earth. Like there was this guilt and there were these actions he was doing. Like he's a, it's weird. He's a military general is this character. So I shouldn't like him because those things turn me off in toys, but there's a humanity like the, the, you know, you were talking earlier about the, the file cards and the lines and like, what's his, like his quote on the back of his card is, (laughs) Of course, I know this off the top of my head. Freedom is the right of all sentient beings. I mean, what a chill I just got. That's a statement. Um, and I don't think it's dumb at all. I mean, I, I, we've had a conversation about, you know, these characters in movies and movies and that have had a profound effect on you. And of course, Optimus Prime is, okay, he's well-developed for 1980s cartoon character, but <laughs> there are ideas and principles there. I mean, like I look at Jean-Luc Picard from Star Trek The Next Generation as having a big effect on me when I was a teenager and and thinking like that's sort of the ideal of you know a a well-developed intelligent well-spoken you know wise person and and like I can totally see that you know Optimus Prime they constantly played on his weakness for not being cruel and not being ruthless and of course the Michael Bay movies threw that out the window entirely but you know it's like he he wasn't gonna kill Megatron in cold blood. And like in the end, that pretty much was his undoing. So I don't know. I mean, the fact that you wrote about him as your hero, as a fourth grader is, doesn't sound dumb to me. Like, you know, that's, he's, yeah, he's a military general, but he has these principles that are real and they mean something in the real world. And they're, I think by our value systems, they're, they're good. And I guess that's, and we've, we've both said the same word now. I guess they are, they're like totems. Then I guess that's why, that's why he's in a box. I can't handle looking yeah. at him. <laughs> Cause yeah, I just, I, I guess I'm imbuing, but it's just so weird. Cause it's this little plastic play thing. I mean, it's not weird. I actually do get it. So people feel this way about their favorite blanket. It's what Susan Kane's rosebud, you know, the first collectible ever, probably this guy in the sled. It <laughs> yeah. means something. And um, so that's why, you know, and again, it's like he's not the one that's on my desk. (laughs) But the Sharkticon probably does similar things. And it's like, what a responsibility to put on what was probably like a, Optimus Prime was probably, what, an $18 piece of plastic? And now I have this entire weight of a sense of morality, like a morality play. 
but also just the sense of like feeling like I learned something from this piece of, you know, and this is like the, in its defense and in the cartoons defense and in the toys defense, there was something to playing with this. Yeah. Again, it's a red truck that turns into a robot with a blue head, but playing it as this character and voicing it and also taking from it. Yeah. I guess it builds something that other toys weren't doing, I guess, you know, even the star Wars toys didn't do that for me the same way. Yeah, and, and I, I come back to this idea of just the level of involvement, you know, that you have not only the physical involvement, but, you know, you're looking at Optimus Prime as a truck, and you have this idea of a truck that you have to perceive, and then you transform it, and you, you perceive it as something different. And it just, I don't know, that level that seems to reach deeper into your mind, I mean, at least for me, and, you know, it's like just, just grasping for a difference as to why, you know, like the Rancor Keeper, from Kenner doesn't doesn't do what Optimus Prime does. You know, it's it's there's definitely no, but you can see either one on the road and you recognize <laughs> them. But that's true. When I see a truck that looks like Optimus Prime at forty one, that's still kind of a, a bit of a buzz. Yeah. <laughs> like there's a moment of oh, that's yeah. Optimus Prime. Yeah. So I guess I mean, and again, these toys were the first were the way to physically feel it. And this probably ties into other toys for other people. This is just I think, and the reason I'm glad to be talking to you about it is I think we share for this particular toy line, you know, and again, it's, it's a toy line that has existed now for 33 years. I think there might've been a year where there were no transformers or two, but to look at that original, like again, and this is maybe how we'll, we'll wrap it up because Optimus Prime was one of the key first characters to see. There wasn't anything like it when it hit, but I don't think that's necessarily what drew me into it. Like there weren't other trans or gobots, but there weren't other toys that were also cars, which is ingenious. You know, it's an ingenious play aspect, you know, and it's fun. And it, I guess it wasn't new. They, there were other things that were imported from Japan, but, but yeah, I guess the, 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 what I put onto them and what I applied to them made them kind of outweigh all these other toys. And again, I was a spoiled kid. I had tons of toy lines that I would love to talk about, but I'm almost having trouble talking about Transformers because of that weird impact that I'm surprised they continue to have. Well, this was really cool. I, I really appreciate the, the chance to talk about this stuff. Um, do you have things, do you like to plug yourself? Is there anything you want to mention here? I'm probably the, the least self-promoting human being on the planet, so I'm just going to say that you can find me as Tim Blevins' cousin. Um, <laughs> and I'm glad to be so. Oh, that's, thank you. I thought you were just going to give like a P.O. box. You can do that too. Um, if you enjoyed this episode, if you find yourself wanting to enjoy or see if you don't enjoy other episodes, uh, check us out at 20 Pop. Cast.com. That's the main website where new and old episodes are always streaming. You can also subscribe to us on most podcast platforms. We're on Google Play, we're on Apple Podcasts, we're on a couple others whose names I'm blanking on. Um, if Bob was here, he'd probably tell you to follow him at RH Canning at uh, Twitter, as well as following his blog. You know what? That'll be in the show notes because I'm going to F it up. I think it's my exaggeratedlife.wordpress.org. That's his pretty amazing comic strip about him and his family. He also does a blog about music, uh, about mixtapes, whose name I'm blanking on. And you can follow me, uh, as some of you have been doing, and I appreciate that, at Subcultist on Twitter, and also Subcultist on Instagram, where we try to post relevant photos and pictures and things to the episodes we're talking about. Um, again, if you can support us, please do. You can subscribe to the show. You can leave comments on iTunes and whatnot. And hopefully we'll be back next week. I think Bob will be back next week. But, Mike, thank you very much. 
for doing this. I think it went well. This part at the end is always done pretty poorly, but prior to this, when it was an actual conversation and not working off the script that I forgot to type out, it went pretty well. It's always great to catch up and, uh, yeah, no, I appreciate the opportunity. It's been a lot of fun. Oh, can I, can I say the thing at the end? Oh, yeah, that would save me from saying it because it takes a lot right. of time. Um, well, I, it's just the phrase that I just wanted to be the one to say. Okay. All right, so catchphrase. That's right. 